Hello and welcome to the podcast from Scoop Empire. This is Behind the Scoop. My name is Mark. It's Thursday, the 19th of May, and this week has been International Museum Day. So joining me now is an archaeologist. Hello, Noura Shoei. Hello, Noura. Hi, how are you? Very well, thank you very much. So you are a National Geographic Explorer. Um, What does that mean? Um, That means that I uh, excavate in Egypt, specifically the Delta region, with National Geographic. Um, They have been um, super helpful and a great platform for me to be able to, you know, fund and help my research uh, in the field of archaeology. And what is your particular interest? Um, What is your area of archaeology? Uh, My main focus is settlement archaeology. So that's basically where people used to live. And I focus on certain areas in Egypt, so mainly up north in the Delta, um, because that is um, where the late period, the very end of the Pharaonic Empire, were based. And when did you decide that you wanted to go into archaeology? Um, I decided I wanted to get into archaeology when I was nine years old, believe it or not. Um, it wasn't so easy or straightforward to get into, but definitely it's you know all about passion. So you have to read a lot and really have to really want to do what you're doing because um, it involves a lot of applications, a lot of roadblocks. Um, a lot of tough environmental conditions out in the field as well. So um, definitely wasn't so easy, but really worth it. And do you feel living in Egypt, it gave you uh, more of an interest with the huge wealth of history that the country has? Uh, I think definitely living in Egypt, I was always fascinated by what I could see around us, you know, just living here on a daily basis, but also being Egyptian, um, I, I felt so proud of where I came from and I wanted to know everything about it. You know, um, how far back do we really go and why are we the way we are today and why do we live the way we live today? Uh, there's always, you know, an origin story to it. So that was what I wanted to know more about. Do you have a certain archaeology outfit? I mean, do you have to do you have to look the part as well as um, you know being interested in it? Um, I definitely, in my head, I think I look like Laura Croft when I'm out in the field, but I definitely <laughs> do not look like that. <laughs> it wouldn't be very um, culturally acceptable um, in certain places that I dig, but uh, definitely, you know, the cargo pants, the typical khaki green cargo pants, the black tank tops. Uh, hair can be in a ponytail sometimes. So we definitely have uh, the basic outfit. I do not wear a hat, though. Um, no hat. Not the Indiana Jones style. <laughs> no hat. <laughs> We've got the look now in our minds. We have the look. Um, yeah. well, yesterday, yesterday was International Museum Day, Nora. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, tell us why you think that museums are still important, are so important, and why people should visit them. Um, I think... Museums are important for multiple reasons, but um, one of the main ones are it's a a way for you to enter a different realm um, in whatever country you're in. You're able to, you know, enter other realms and other other civilizations that you not necessarily are going to be able to visit. So I think that's a super cool way of um, another form of education, essentially. I think all of us remember when we're kids, you know, being dragged to museums, either by school or our parents or whatever. And then you end up being fascinated by seeing, you know, other cultures, other civilizations that you didn't know existed, except for maybe watching them on documentaries or TV. So it kind of takes you into a whole other world uh, that you wouldn't be exposed to normally. And I think also museums are important because they preserve our heritage and the artifacts that we find 
especially the artifacts that we as archaeologists uncover and unearth um, on our excavations, um, most of them uh, end up being in museums. Um, some end up being in our magazines, of course, where because there's you know, a lot of things that are in storage, especially in Egypt, we have too many artifacts. But um, a lot of the prominent artifacts that we find that can tell you a lot about the history are housed in museums and they actually protect um, our history. So it's super important for us to preserve our own heritage. Now, I'm British, and we have helped you out very much in looking after some of <laughs> yeah. Egypt's artifacts for, <laughs> for quite some time. I want to and, say it like that, yeah. <laughs> and, this often, <laughs> and this often causes a lot of controversy. What do you mm-hmm. think about the fact that all over the world there are quite a lot of Egypt's artifacts that have found a home in museums of different countries, colonial countries particularly? Um, Well, for example, the British Museum, which is actually one of my favorite museums, if not my favorite in the world, um, has, I think, like around 70 or 80 percent of the artifacts they have are Egyptian. And that's what they use, you know, to attract all of their tourists every year. And I get asked this all the time if, you know, if it's okay or should it be accepted that they have our our pieces from our own history. I mean, the most famous one is the Rosetta Stone um, in the British Museum. I am not opposed to it. I think a lot of things that were taken back then were done legally. So I can't say anything against that. Anything taken today, of course, is illegal and should be kept in our own country. And those things get tracked down. And from abroad, they actually do send them back. So it's um, there's a good system for it. But the items, I think, that are abroad in museums um, are a good way to give us exposure to Egyptian history and, you know, have tourists and people around the world see what what we really have and actually makes them want to come here and see more for themselves. So it actually doesn't hurt us to have things all over the world. And we're also lucky enough um, in Egypt to have an overflowing amount of history and that comes in the form of artifacts that we have enough to spread it around the world and we still have more to excavate. So it's never ending. I like that you said that earlier, actually, that Egypt has almost too many artifacts. What is it you're working on right now, Noura? Um, right now, a couple different things. I'm working on an Explorer Spotlight um, with National Geographic, which is going to be aired on the TV channels, um, all of the TV channels in Abu Dhabi, London, and uh, the US in the next month. And I'm heading up uh, to an excavation next month in the Delta region in Egypt. Do you spend a lot of time in the field? Um, we usually do. I try to do two seasons a year, so a summer season and a winter season, and each one is around two months. Uh, if I can push it to three months and we have enough funding, it'll be three months. Uh, if it's up to me, I would do it all year round, but uh, we are not lucky enough to get unlimited funding, of course. I have friends who work uh, out in uh, the desert in uh, mining, in various mining industries, and they really don't like going out in the field. I mean, they do like it, but really they'd much rather stay with their creature comforts, you know, <laughs> at, yeah, you, at home. You definitely have to be built for it. Uh, the field is not for everyone. A lot of it is more like army life. So you either really have to be passionate about the job or you're. I don't think you're going to survive it. Uh, I also dig in Sudan, for example, and it's another ball game. So it's, you know, some places are really roughing it up and you don't even have cell phone connection or connectivity to anything to use equipment. So some things can be super rough, but, um, you know, some of those are actually the most fruitful excavations. 
So what's the first thing you do when you get home? Is it a long shower? Oh, for sure. <laughs> Definitely a long, hot shower. You never get any hot water at all. And probably some junk food. A nice takeaway. Yeah. You kind of just want a burger at the end. <laughs> well, Nora, it's been lovely to talk to you and I hope you'll come on again. It's been fascinating to talk to you and I want more time to explore some of these areas and that would be lovely. But thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's been my pleasure. Thank you to Nora for joining me on the podcast today. Still to come, the composer and music producer, Hishem Karma. But first, a few articles that you can read right now on Scoop Empire. Five Egyptians dominating the field of Egyptology. Also, there's a roundup of some of the Arab films at the Cannes Film Festival. You can find out about Arab women who have reached the summit of Mount Everest and also how a Beirut butcher has provided comforts for Arabs in the United States. A taste of the Middle East right now at scoopempire.com. My next guest on the podcast was involved in the Pharaoh's Golden Parade. He's also done the music for Suits as well. He is the producer and composer Hishem Karma. Hello, Hishem. Hi, Mark. Uh, hope everything is great and it's an honor being with you on the podcast. It's lovely to have you on with us today. Thank you, Hishem, for being here. So tell us about Suits and, and how you got involved in that and what it was like working on that. Uh, working on Suits was, uh, uh, at the beginning, uh, when they called me, I was actually surprised that they called me because it's I know I, I watch Suits usually here in, in our market uh, when people approach you for a project. They call you based on on the genre you're working on. Like for me, I work on orchestral fusion, uh, fusing orchestral instruments with electronic. And, and that's, I'm, I'm known for this here in, in, in our market. So when they called me, I was surprised, challenged, and I felt it's, it's actually a good challenge to be in. It took me a, a while because be, the moment they announced they're having suits for the Arab world, Everyone on social media was, of course, attack, attacking and comparing. And why yeah. would you guys take an already successful uh, series and have an Arabic format? Did that affect your decision and whether you wanted to be involved in it then? Not at all. Actually, it was one of the things that uh, pushed me, me and everyone in the crew, like the director, the art director, the, the set designer, everyone took it as a challenge. I love the idea of having uh, suits and to me, I felt it's an, uh, an original idea to our market and it's good that we're taking a successful format and having our own version. How did you approach it? Look, I approached it first is that the, the brief was uh, simple. We have suits, we have the format, we have to have this international look and feel, clean and, and shiny, but it has to have our own uh, local flavor. So I started, of course, listening to suits, but listening in terms of I want to get the look and feel, the sounds, the, the sonic identity. So I said, okay, let's take the guitars. For me, choosing the guitars and the ambient uh, sounds was the only common thing that I'll, I'll use. But other than that, I wanted it to be an original. I wanted to have uh, our own iconic uh, melody for the characters and the, the series itself. And I wanted to find a way how to inject uh, Arabic instruments, but in a way that doesn't make it purely local or Arabic, but like just small, uh, maybe percussions, small, like tiny notes to four bars maximum. 
the first of course challenge was finding the the the, the main melody they sent me uh, one hour of footage random footage the final step was uh, of course recording i was recording in in egypt and with uh, so many talented musicians uh, from all around the world it sounds like a lot of work it was uh, actually a lot of work it was very uh, stressful but so much fun when people like uh, start throwing rocks and 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 telling everyone ah, guys you're imitating and it won't succeed this kind of feedback actually turns me into a stubborn musician <laughs> so it was fun in that way like maybe the first three four days people were still like comments on facebook and social media in general people were just criticizing but starting the next week people were starting to you know what it's interesting i think by mid ramadan and people were already hooked many many were hooked actually and and we saw many funny comments like people were like tweeting uh, okay guys uh, i'm really sorry but i'm watching suits <laughs> <laughs> so well, it's funny too to... <laughs> people managed to get over themselves well congratulations on the success of it uh, tell us about your involvement with the pharaoh's parade the golden parade which was a huge thing in egypt um a little while ago i scored the music for the documentary that was aired before the parade the land of civilization featuring khalid and nabawi and yeah when 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 they called me for the project it was like a week before the the parade a week before yeah, yeah 10 days actually 10 days wow. before the parade you've got a, a very short amount of time you've got a lot of pressure on so when it went out uh when it was broadcast what's the feeling beforehand and how did you feel afterwards i didn't know this like i knew the scale of the event but i didn't uh imagined how everyone and every egyptian around the world not just in egypt is in front of the tv watching the parade so the moment it started my phone and notifications and everything from friends all over the world and notifications on our fan page instagram facebook and everything it was flooding it was crazy like uh, the, the dopamine level was <laughs> was really high <laughs> that i was uh, after the parade is when i started uh, digesting what just happened and and i did digested actually after we posted the video on facebook and i think it was like in in 10 minutes 2000 shares something like that <laughs> so it was to me, it was uh, crazy. And you've worked, obviously, with a lot of different people. What would you say, or who would you say, were the collaborations that you've been most proud of or enjoyed most? Mm, that's the very, that's a tough question. <laughs> Usually, tough. Because there are a lot of people. There are a lot. <laughs> <laughs> like maybe the three special ones. Yanni was one of them. Omar Khairat and Hani Shnuda. Hani Shnuda, I remixed during university back in the days. I remixed one of his songs actually in 1999. Oh, you're started, old, Hisham. You're very old, right? I'm very young. I'm, I'm 16 years old. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember the 90s. Was it, was it even there? I don't. I don't even know. <laughs> Let, let's say. Let's say 2000. 
<laughs> so so I remixed this song. I released it and I invited uh, Mr. Hani Schnuda to one of my concerts. And since then, we've been like very close friends and he's been one of my mentors, actually, that uh, I talk to when I'm like having challenges in the industry. The other one is uh, Omar Khairat, of course. Omar Khairat, actually, not everyone knows that, but related and I've been brought up in his concerts and I loved his his, his music and, and concerts. And getting the chance to collaborate with him, I collaborated with him like three years ago on a very big project. It was uh, it was actually a project uh, fusing uh, music, integrating music, technology and charity, honoring Sheikh Zayed because he was the first back in the days to donate the cancer uh, equipment. Uh, so Shosh Abul Khair, she's a well-known Egyptian designer. She came up with an idea of having, I think there were like 80 sculptures from around the world. They sculpted different uh, pigeons in a different way that during sunrise, like if you go into the, the hospital, you'll find like 80 pigeons flying they're of course on wires, but he, as if it's it's a flying piece. During sunrise, there is a music piece that starts, and these pigeons start moving, and they create the face of Sheikh Zayed. If you look at it from a perspective, it's like an optical illusion kind of thing. Wow! And during sunset, these pigeons fly away and and go back to their original position. So Omar Khairat composed the music piece for his. Uh, birth i composed the music piece for the sunset so what is next for you then hishem um you've worked with these huge icons what is next for you what's coming up next i'm working uh, like i'm i'm working on the show more i'm i'm like working on of course the the upcoming album i'm still i'm still working on it so so mainly the album and the concerts i'm i'm focusing on the upcoming uh, uh, phase and actually there, there's another film i'm scoring it's yom uh, Tashar. it's uh, featuring ahmed dawood dina shirbini and uh, many many uh, actors it's it's actually the first 3d horror arabic uh, movie wow that sounds fun yeah that sounds like yeah. a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, so it's fun. It, it's horror and it's 3D. So uh, yeah, we're, we're experimenting as well with different sounds and wow. and stuff. And it has so many, like the, the cast is uh, huge. Well, uh, Hashem Kaba, it's been lovely talking to you and delving into your world a little bit and finding out more about you and uh, how you work. And I wish you the best of luck. And we can't wait to hear the album as well. Thank you, Mark, so much. It was a pleasure being with you. And uh, thank you very much. See you soon. That's the wonderful Hishem Kama right here on the podcast from Scoop Empire. Thanks for joining me today. Please do join again next time. This has been Behind the Scoop 